Well, good morning. I'm going to start with a little slideshow, some pictures from the animal kingdom. So let's start with, you see a little tiny, tiny hummingbird just being held by a couple of fingers. Next one, an actual hot dog, a wiener dog in a little bun. We have, that's a fat cat. And then we have a huge whale. See the little guy down in the corner? A giant crab. That would take a while to kind of crack that. And an enormous manta ray. At first I thought that was Photoshop, but it's not. It's a huge manta ray. There's a lot, of, a lot of diversity, a lot of different types of bodies and shapes and forms in God's creation in the animal world, right? In the fish world and the, and the bird world. Um, and, and the human race, there's a lot of diversity as well. I mean, you have tall people who are slender, tall people who are wide, short people who are slender, short people who are wide, people with brown hair or, or black hair or red hair or gray hair or white hair or no hair, people of different, with different skin colors, people with different eye colors. There's a lot of diversity in the, in the human race as far, as far as the shape and size and dimensions of our bodies. Listen to what some, some quotes about the human body. The first is from Paul Auster, not Austin, Paul Auster. The human body is strange and flawed and unpredictable. The human body has many secrets and it does not divulge them to anyone except those willing to wait. This is from Teddy Roosevelt. The human body has two ends to it, one to create with and one to sit on. And sometimes people get their ends reversed. He says when that happens, they need a good kick in the pants. This is from Walt Whitman, the poet. If anything is sacred, the human body is sacred. And this is from uh, Dr. Ben um, Carson. Uh, You'll recognize that name. My strong belief is that God created human beings and therefore he knows about every aspect of the human body. So if I want to fix it, I just need to stay in harmony with him. And then finally, from George Gallup, the Gallup polls, the pollster, he writes, I could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone. The chances that all the functions of an individual would just happen is a statistical anomaly. Amazing, the human body, isn't it? But the most amazing body of them all is the body that Judy just read about, the body of Christ. Now, there are many different metaphors and descriptors in the scriptures about about the the, the people of God, the church. Uh, There's the, the idea of the vineyard, you know, uh, we're the vineyard and we have to be attached to the vine and uh, Christ is the, the vine keeper, the vineyard owner. Um, there's the idea of the bride. Uh, there's the idea of, of, a, of a building, a living building, and we're, we're the stones and Christ is the cornerstone. Uh, but the most prominent uh, metaphor or descriptor of the church in the New Testament is that of a body, the body of Christ. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, which was just read, the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor of the human body to describe the workings and the nature of the church. And he uses the term body 18 times in this chapter alone. So what does it mean to be the the body of Christ? What is to be our role in the body of Christ? And why is it important that we take our place in the body of Christ? Now, those are big questions. I'm not going to be able to cover all that in just a few moments, but we're going to highlight a couple of things. Hopefully that'll kind of help you to do some thinking about this topic. So let's dig in and do an examination of the body of Christ. The first thing we do that we see is that we must be connected to each other to be what God wants us to be. 
Very simple. We're better together. We must be connected to each other to be what God wants us to be. Listen to verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And isn't it good? Wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same in the body of Christ? We must be connected to each other to be what God wants us to be. That means all parts of the church, big C, the universal church, all parts of this church, small C, the local church, we all are a part of the same big whole. Men and women and and children and um, people of all different ages and races and backgrounds and nationalities, we all are part of the body. And that is God's design. That's God's intent. And as we look through Scripture, only when we are connected to each other intentionally and authentically and sacrificially and lovingly do we become what God wants us to be. You know, as I look in Scripture, we don't have the option to, to pull away from others in the body as if we don't need them or, or want them. Listen to what Paul says again. The eye cannot say to the hand, this is verse 21, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So when we pull away from intentional, regular, authentic connection with each other, the body of Christ, it, it's diminished. It, it, it suffers. We need each other. And that connection with each other is absolutely essential. Now you say, okay, I agree with that. And, but you know people, or maybe you are a part of this group, people who have been hurt by the church, where the church is a source of pain or, or frustration or disappointment. And if that's the case, that's happened to me at times over the years, but the church is filled with imperfect people and flawed people, right? And the church is made of imperfect structures. And because that is reality, at times we're going to get hurt or we're going to hurt others. The body of Christ, the church is often maligned because of this, sometimes deservedly. And some people can question its validity or its effectiveness or its, its purpose, And yet the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is beautiful. It's described as beautiful in the scriptures. And the church at its best is marked by generosity and sacrifice and grace and love and kindness and compassion. It's a place of of, of healing where together we follow Christ and, and learn about Christ and find salvation in him. We need each other. We must be connected to each other. If we want to be what God wants us to be. But that's not all. Listen to what Jesus has to say about the church. This time in Matthew 18 or 16, excuse me. And this is what he has to say. The context is he's talking to to Peter and there's a buzz about Jesus in the countryside. People are trying to figure out who he is. Is he a prophet or who exactly is this guy? And so Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Remember Peter's response? He nails it. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. He he nails it. And Jesus says, on this rock, on your confession, on on the gospel, the good news that I am the son of God, that I have come to save people, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
Now, what does it mean the gates of Hades will not overcome it? Well, first, notice Jesus' choice of words. What he doesn't say is, the culture is going to hell in the handbasket. There are all these godless worldviews, enemies of the church attacking the church. But don't worry, the church is going to stand strong. He doesn't say that. He says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What are gates used for? They're, They're used to enclose and to keep things out. So what we have here is a picture of the church on the move, on the offensive, doing battle against Hades, pushing into enemy territory, winning back territory and people who have been fooled by Satan. So the church is to be on the move against the forces of evil, bringing about goodness and love and justice and and peace. Okay, Doug, you might say, I, I, I get all that, but... I don't really need the church to be a Christian. I don't really need to be connected to the body of Christ to to follow Jesus. But if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, he seems to want to have something to do with the church. He wants a relationship with the church. He's established a relationship with the church. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul reminds us of what Christ has done for the church and the nature, nature of that relationship with the church. Listen to this, Ephesians 5, starting at verse 29. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. So right here, Paul tells us Christ cares for the church. He nourishes the church. He feeds the church. He's the head of the church. But then Paul uses a a marriage or a wedding uh, metaphor or analogy, and he quotes from Genesis 2, and this, this description of, of marriage between a man and a woman. So here he begins by quoting Genesis 2. For this reason, you've heard of the sweatings, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And then he stops quoting Genesis and he says this. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in Paul's description, the church is the bride... And Christ is the groom. And Christ loves the church. And he lays down his life for the church. He cares for the church. He sacrifices for the church. Christ is faithful to the church. He doesn't divorce the church or separate when the church misses the mark or disappoints or even is unfaithful at times. And if Christ loves the church, and he does, it's so clear in the scriptures, so should we, warts and all. Sometimes it's hard to do, I know, but we're called to do that. In fact, we have a, all have a role to play in the body of Christ. We are needed in the body for it to function as it should. Again, looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse, or, uh, verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason ceasing to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Each one of us, 
No matter who we are, no matter our backgrounds, no matter our level of talent or maturity in Christ, God has placed each one of us in the body, the Bible tells us, for a reason, just as he wants us to be. So using Paul's metaphor of a human body, whether you're an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot or an eyebrow or a pinky or a belly button, you're needed in the body of Christ. And God has placed you there for a reason. We have a purpose and a role to play. And one role, no matter how different our gifts and personalities are, is one that we all are to play in the body. It's found in verse 26, where Paul writes, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So using the analogy farther, if, if I have a broken foot, the rest of my body is going to know about it. If I have a bad back, the rest of my body is going to know about it. If I have an upset stomach, believe me, the rest of my body is going to know about it. As part of the body of Christ, we are to suffer with each other, which means come alongside and pray and support and encourage, empathize. And we're also to rejoice with each other, to celebrate God's work in our lives, to celebrate the successes of our our friends, our family, our business. We are to celebrate with each other and to rejoice with each other. Because Jesus said, remember his call, is to love each other, and by the love we have for each other, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples. Next, I want to read a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 10, where the author writes, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hold that thought for a second. You know, as Americans, we live in a consumer society, right? Over, we're about 5% of the world's population. We consume 26 or 7% of the world's energy resources. 3% of the world's children live in the U.S., but they have 40% of the world's toys. 12% of the world's population lives in, in North America and Western Europe, but account for about 60% of private spending. So what does this have to do with the body of Christ? If we're not careful, this consumer mentality or mindset can be brought into church. Let me explain. Soren Kierkegaard, he was a Danish philosopher and a theologian, and he uses an illustration about the, the right way and the wrong approach, the right approach and the wrong approach that, that we as Christians can, can sometimes bring to church. I've been guilty of it. And Kierkegaard wrote that often the model we have is this. In church, he says, we, the congregation, are the audience. And God is the prompter. And the minister and the worship leaders, they're the actors. So in other words, God prompts the minister what to say or the worship leader, what songs to lead. And the congregation is the audience. In this scenario, Kierkegaard says, the natural tendency is to, is to sit passively and to wait to be inspired or entertained. And the prevailing question as you walk out the doors is, what did I get out of church today? But Kierkegaard says we've got it reversed. It should be that God is the audience, that we as a congregation are the actors, and the minister and worship leaders are the prompters, where together we actively participate in worship to please and honor and praise God. 
And so the focus is upwards and not necessarily outwards. And in this scenario, we walk away asking these questions. Was God honored? Was God pleased with what happened today? Did I honor and please God with my worship and my service today? The body of Christ is to be active, actively seeking to honor and praise and and worship God. And we are not, as the author of Hebrews urges us, we are not to, to give up meeting together. We are to gather together and to spur each other on, to encourage each other and to honor and please God. One more thing real quickly. Now, I've been speaking primarily about how the body needs each one of us and about how God has designed it that way. But I'd like to close with a very important reason why we need the body of Christ. We need it because that connection is essential for our spiritual life and vitality. You may have heard the name D.L. Moody. He was a well-known evangelist at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, one day he was visiting a prominent Chicago citizen who was a a good, upstanding guy. And he was visiting him, and the idea of church membership and involvement came up. And the guy said, you know, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside of it. And Moody said nothing. And he walked to the fireplace where there's a roaring fire, and he, he, he separated one of the burning coals, and he placed it on the hearth apart from them. And they sat down next to the man. And they watched the embers slowly glow less and less, and the light began to flicker. Eventually it went out, and it became cold. Cold enough he could just pick it up. And the man looked at Moody and said, I see your point. We need connection with each other in the body of Christ. Or our faith will never mature or grow without it. When I'm stagnant or dry in the faith, I especially need the body of Christ at that time. I need to be around those who are passionate or on fire for Christ. When I'm hurting or in pain, I need to fight my tendency to pull back and lick my wounds and turn inward. Instead of allowing others to encourage me in the faith, to strengthen me in the faith, to soak the fires of of trust in Jesus Christ. Because that's how God designed This incredible thing, the church, the body of Christ, we need each other. And the body of Christ needs you. Now, you are the body of Christ, Paul writes. And each one of us, each one of us is a part of it. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. It's through him that we have life, we have salvation, we have hope for this world and beyond the grave. We thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And not just as individuals, but he gave his life for the church as well. He, he sacrificed for the church. He is the groom of the church, the head of the church. And he loves the church. So, Lord, we just pray that we, just, we want to thank you for the church, capital C, the church spread across this world, in this community, in our nation, where Jesus Christ is preached, crucified, and risen, where the offer of new life in Christ is found. We thank you for the church, capital C. Lord, we thank you for our church, small C as well. We thank you for the men and women and children who serve you faithfully, for how they encourage one another, Uh, help each other, serve each other, rejoice and suffer with each other. 
spur each other on to growth in you. We confess, Father, that we are flawed and imperfect as individuals, as a church, but we rely upon your grace. We trust in you and ask for your help that together, as we come together, Lord, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and worshipped through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the church, the body of Christ, and we thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. So help us, Lord, to together do great things for you and to love each other in ways that people will look at us and know that we truly are your disciples. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.